imagine for a moment that you've been asked by a friend to check on someone in your neighborhood. They've asked you to take a look at the property, look around, maybe poke your head inside. Because there's some concern about the person who lives at that address. There's something that seems not quite right. Maybe something's a little off. Perhaps the door's been ajar. Perhaps there's some other sort of sign that there might be a problem. So you step up to look into the house on your own. Knock on the door. No answer. Peeking through the window. What can you see? And how far do you go before asking for help, reaching out to the authorities? Where is that line that you're willing to cross in terms of figuring out if someone is okay? But there must be that rush of adrenaline, knowing that what could be on the other side of that door could be nothing? Or is it something absolutely horrifying? And the unknown is one of those fears that generates so many different emotions. Now imagine that you're in a position, a job, where every day there is a chance that you're going to have to go make one of these home visits. When every day there's a chance that you're going to have to knock on that door and have no idea what to expect. Not know what you're stepping into or risking. And often doing it with very little help or support. Uh, We were sent out on a call. I was on Thanksgiving Day. The neighbors had reported that there was smell, smell coming from the house, very bad smell, and that they thought something was going on. They didn't know what. The lady was bound, tied up in a wheelchair, living in her own feces, had a diaper on, and no one had... The woman who was supposedly taking care of her was spending her social security check, exploiting her, so we had to take her into emergency custody. The ambulance took her to the hospital. I took custody of her. And when you took custody of her, you were in charge of if she had any bills, which she didn't, but you were in charge of her financial situation, making arrangements to have, have apply for nursing home assistance from the state, having you go to court and testify in court with the judge why she removed her from the care of her caregiver, take pictures of all the bad stuff in the house. And then I had the police also took pictures. And a rookie policeman went out and looked in the refrigerator, which had maggots and very bad stuff in the refrigerator to see what kind of food she had and he went out and threw up in the bushes he was a rookie cop and I had to take pictures and he said I don't know how you do this every day and I said well you just someone has to do it it was horrible the smell the stench and um, along with the maggots and the cockroaches now what you've just heard is a classic example of the challenges and heartache and real-life struggles that our social worker Lucy has had to face in her career and that any number of other individuals who have chosen a similar career path encounter every day across this country. The reality of what happens behind the scenes or hiding in plain sight. Now as we pick up Lucy's story, if you recall, she had begun her career as a social worker in a big city. But as the 1980s wound down and Lucy ended the first decade of her career, she began a transition not only personally moving to a new location, but dealing with an entirely different landscape when it came to the idea of what social work meant. And let's visit that term for a minute. 
Social work is this incredibly benign term. It's sort of like calling a firefighter a combustion technician or a police officer a legal enforcer. It just doesn't convey or it doesn't connote the tough, gritty details of what this line of work means. And as the 80s started to fade and the 90s emerged, it became a decade of transition of change, not only for Lucy in her career, but across the U.S. There were major fundamental shifts in how the U.S. legislated and decided to approach government assistance writ large. A big part of that was the effort to incentivize individuals and families to wean themselves off of government assistance. Whereas before, many of those benefits would continue indefinitely. But in the 90s, as sentiment and popular opinion grew toward curtailing or capping or cutting off those benefits for individuals that had been on it for indefinite periods of time, new legislation came into effect, which did just that. When they changed that, it really did uh, change the attitude. We tried to change the attitude, educate our clients, and I think that was a great... It helped the workers because we weren't just doing shuffling papers and giving people money every month and not seeing any any kind of incentive for them to get a job. It changed the whole perspective to try to get them off of welfare, basically. So that's one of the biggest changes. Not every you couldn't light a fire under everybody, obviously. At the same time, this shift in the geopolitical landscape is happening when it comes to government assistance. Lucy is also transitioning to a new chapter in her career. She's moved from a large metropolitan area into a more rural environment. So the cases that she's working, the clients that she's dealing with, the responsibilities and roles that she has are completely different. I moved from a metropolitan city, a large metropolitan city, to working in a very rural area. And there was a big change, whereas my clientele changed, type of clientele, my cover, the resources are very limited. So it was a very it was a challenge to adapt to it. A new work environment, a new supervisor, a new um, going from a county, a, a group of working in a, a huge room of, say, uh, a building of two or three hundred people, and you were a large room, say, with 60 or 70, to working with, it was only what called caseworker, and you had a, nur a nurse and a secretary, and that was it. So it was difficult to make that transition since I was kind of uprooting, uprooting myself. One of the biggest differences in working in a big city, small town America, is that many of those resources that would have been available in an urban area were scarce or non-existent in Lucy's new location. The disparity in resources forced Lucy to have to look elsewhere for help. Using her social connections, using her connections through work, she would look to build alliances, whether it's with local churches, community service groups, or other means, in order to help meet the needs of our new community. But I think a real challenge was to try to find resources, churches or other places that would help with food, with clothing. There was no Salvation Army. The closest Salvation Army was in 50 miles away. There were no homeless shelters. There were no domestic violence shelters that women could go if they were being wanting to get away from an abusive relationship. So you're on the phone trying to 
get help from resources. Some of the workers were not that motivated to do that. So I kind of took pride. So you spent more time out in the community making contacts or working with people to try to get them to see the need. Now, while there were differences in the problems or the solutions to the problems between a major city and a small town, many of the same afflictions or flaws that have impacted cities or, or large urban areas were just as prevalent in these smaller communities as well. Often people think of a, a small town setting as idyllic or peaceful, and sometimes it can be that way. But through the eyes of a social worker like Lucy, the on-the-ground reality sometimes reflected a very different situation. People might not understand the same problems you have in the big city. They're the same everywhere else. People still do bad things, but they think they're going to get away with it easier because there's no very little law enforcement in some towns that they don't have a, a policeman. They just rely on the county sheriff. And you live out in the country, that's the way as a sheriff. So there's less law enforcement. People can cover things up for a long time, probably without being noticed. In trying to work through or address some of these issues that Lucy discovered, she also ran into some of those small-town dynamics, that close-knit community, that sense of kin or family, that can sometimes pull a community together but it can also make it harder to build that rapport, to engage with, to build trust in a community, particularly as someone that others might see as an outsider. You had to, people would not give up information. If you start questioning the neighbors, we would, were told to question neighbors about maybe what was going on inside. We got referrals and we had to go out and check it out. So it was sometimes the neighbors were afraid to talk or, they didn't want to get anybody, quote, unquote, into trouble. They didn't want to be involved, shall we say, even in, you know, small-town America. If you're, someone was abusing or neglecting a child or a grown adult, probably they could keep it private. No one would know about it unless, for some reason, it came to light or unless the child was sent to school with bruises or knew what was going on. When Lucy moved to this small community, she had to take on a bunch of new roles. Compared to her first office, where there were hundreds of people at work any given day, to her new location, where she might be the only person in the office. Which meant that she had to do a little bit of everything, in a sense that she was a one-stop shop. You kind of did it all when I worked in a small office. From 94 to 98, I did all the programs, went to the nursing homes, did adult that's when I went to training for Adult Protective Services, called APS, where you investigate alleged adult neglect of ages 18 and up, say they were uh, handicapped mentally and people were exploiting them on their money. And we also investigated nursing homes when there was alleged abuse of a loved one or a relative we went out and assessed it. And then we turned in our report to the state health department and then they sent their own investigators out. Social workers wear many hats. They, they educate. They, I would explain that they, it depends on what line of social work you go into. If you do a caseload where you, you do food stamps and do reviews and you do old age assistance or you help people get accepted into the nursing home, 
foster care. You can go and be work for child welfare, work in foster care, and try to find homes for foster care children. Or you make home visits while they're in foster care to see how they're doing. On top of having to work through all these different issues and handle all these different cases, because Lucy was a scarce resource as a social worker in small-town America, it also meant that she had to go into depth in terms of helping some clients or individuals who were asking for her assistance because they had no one else to turn to. I, I know I had one client and they were real frustrated because they'd been trying to get apply for Social Security up to it was disability and they didn't understand it all and they couldn't the, they'd been denied and if you've been denied a couple of times you can hire a lawyer who won't charge anything but they get a pretty good chunk of you know a certain percentage of if you get a, if you get win your case but they're real frustrated because they didn't understand the forms and so I took the time to help them fill it out then they came back later and said they hadn't heard from Social Security so I called them and and it made a I mean because I said I was with DHS my name and what my title was and I was trying to help them then they were more there's a lot of forms to fill out and they weren't educated enough and a lot of my clients were illiterate they had never been they really couldn't read and write but yet they graduated from high school so the library public library offers free literacy classes so I would encourage them to go there and not be embarrassed about being an adult and they can't even read and write they couldn't fill out a job application so they bring it to me to fill out because they were illiterate now for every individual or family that Lucy went out of her way to find additional resources for or to reach out to additional POCs to help move their applications along there are other individuals or other families who are looking to take advantage of that same system and to take advantage of Lucy's kindness. A client came to me and said, for example, my they won't feed my child at school because I ran out of food, the whatever reason, I don't remember, but she, they won't feed my child because I didn't pay for the lunch thing. And I think they're on reduced, what they call reduced lunch. She had to pay some of it. I, I didn't think she was telling me the truth, so I knew the principal. I called the principal of the local elementary school, and she started. And she said, "Oh no, we give them peanut butter if they don't if they don't have enough money for their lunch, and we send notes home, and they don't pay it. They're not turned away. They get peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. They get something. They get milk. So the client, in essence, had lied to me. Now, one of the more underappreciated aspects of being a social worker in a small town is that not only are you doing more cases over a more diverse set of issues? So you're working on all these different problems. And you're the only person in some instances that can fix or address those issues or help those who are in need. But you're also more identifiable. You are a known commodity or person in that community. In a large city, there is that sense of anonymity. You can be anonymous. You can be simply another government employee, a state employee. But in a small town, you are a part of the fabric of that community. Which in Lucy's case meant that not only was she working a lot of hours and on call, working overtime, but even when she was off the clock or retired, people in the community would reach out to her and ask for her help. In some ways, you could add one more title to Lucy's resume. 
She was a counselor to the community. When I retired, and even before I retired, people in my church or people in the community who knew what I did for a living would call me on the phone and ask me questions. You know, my aunt's getting sent out, what I do about putting her nursing home, or I, my, my aunt is living with the nephew. He's supposed to be taking care of her. He, I don't think he is. He's not keeping her clean. Who do I report this to? What do I do? So a lot of times we went, you know, I, they would call me asking my my help my because I knew I had a lot of knowledge about it and where to go, what resources to go to. As Lucy's time in the community grows and she gets closer and closer to retirement, we take time in the next episode of Exit 222 to look back and hear Lucy's thoughts on her experiences, what it meant to her, and the impact that her career, this three-decade spanning career had on her communities that she lived in and the people she served. Join us next time.